0: Okay, the NHL returning last night, and from Hockey Night Punjabi returning here to the show, our good friend Parminder Singh joins us on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Parminder, nice to talk with you as always. Uh, Happy New Year, by the way.
1: Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Mac, to you and uh, and all the listeners. And uh, hopefully uh, we're going to turn a good page, a better page here, like the (laughs) Leafs.
0: Well, yeah, I don't know. I got a little worried there uh, watching last night. We'll get to the game in a second. But first of all, just give us your overall take on last night. How do you think night number one for the NHL rolled out?
1: Uh, look, I, we have great games uh, on, and I know it's, uh, it's tough times we're we're going through it. I think with, uh, uh, you know, just to say the least, and now that we're all kind of experienced in, in what it means to be socially isolated, and, and now players are understanding what it means to play games without fans in, in the audience. And um, so uh, I think, you know, all in all, with what we saw uh, with the lack of great play on, on ice, but uh, uh, I think they're making the best of what, uh, what we can currently handle.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, no fans. Pull back the curtain for us if you can just a little bit here because I was wondering about this because I'm watching the game last night and much like NFL football, I think NBA basketball has done this as well they kind of add what they call a sweetener, right? They got like the crowd effects, the the noise for those of us are watching at home. Is there somebody like in a closet, a small booth per minute that's just like pushing a button marked like applause and another one boo? <laughs>
1: you, know, you know what? I give it up to to the folks uh, producing the games because they've done a great job with getting the sounds. In there. And you're precisely right. That's exactly what it is, just adding in the effects when when necessary and making sure you give that home team somewhat advantage when you're watching a game to know that it's a home game as opposed to an away game otherwise uh you know, it'll be, it'll be tough watching these games.
0: Yeah, but that's a tough skill as well, because, I mean, you really got to be watching the play and anticipating things. I mean, when Marner shoots wide, you want to hear, oh, because it's a Toronto. You have to remember it's in Toronto, because if it was in Montreal, then you'd want to hear something different.
1: Absolutely. It's, you're right. It's a skill in itself. And, uh, and I can just imagine a guy who's got all this pre-programmed on his keyboard. And, uh, <laughs> but it's a great question I'm going to raise with Sportsnet on, on who that person is, because you, you, you're right it's oh man this is uh, but I, I believe there, there's a bit of AI involved as well if uh, if I'm not mistaken but uh,
0: okay you know what it's like for me it's kind of like uh, remember friends back in the 90s and they had the laugh track going and then the laugh track kind of fell out of favor uh, right so uh, right. it's funny when you watch those sitcoms from the 80s and 90s and you just hear this uh, wild laughter uh, after every joke and it doesn't seem quite real anymore it, it's kind of the same same now with the crowd effect to me, it's, it's like a laugh track.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I I agree, but it's it's still entertaining though. Like I mean, remember the shows from then? There was like a cue for us to laugh. it Was like then the question was, was that really funny or was that play really as interesting as the crowd sound made it? So I I think it'll be interesting to see how this all unravels.
0: All right, let's talk about uh, COVID here for a second because there was at least twenty seven COVID cases going into last night's uh, opening games in the NHL. Is it clear exactly what the league is doing, parminder, to limit exposure?
1: No, I, I, you know they're they're trying their best is what i'm I'm hearing, But then also in terms of tracing exposure, that's another concern. similarly to the other leagues with the NBA, and I think they're taking cues from each other on how to kind of assist and and maintaining social distancing and ensuring that everyone is within the bubble, because uh, we know that the opportunity or the fact of the matter is that if teams are exposed, players can't play then games will be postponed and um so this was the first game and and you know some cases came out of it um and now it's a matter of seeing what they will go back to to ensure that uh, there's ways to protect the players from each other
0: yeah and at the end of the day i mean we've seen it you're right in other leagues uh, the nfl the nba they've had to cancel a games. major league baseball had to do the same thing so it's not out of the realm of possibility somewhere down the road. We might see games canceled, do you think, because of COVID?
1: Uh, certainly. Certainly. And, it's, you know, there's some interesting points within just the, you know, the circle of folks uh, that I talk to in terms of the sports side on, uh, on whether some of these uh, sports teams and players uh, will get uh, vaccinated uh, first. Uh, or as a part of uh, you know the fact they're bringing some enjoyment uh, to the mental health of individuals at home who are just sick and tired of everything else and now finally have something to watch or look forward to and um, and so yeah so I think you know the, there's a, a lot of things at play and I'm sure the leagues will be pushing the governments to uh, to ensure that a there that there's some I don't know if there's going to be any ease of measures by any means but to to protect the players and perhaps have them uh, vaccinated.
0: Well, you know, I mentioned before the break, it did kind of feel like comfort food last night because we have a new stay-at-home order, of course, in Ontario, and I think uh, this is coming at the right time for a lot of people, uh, the return of hockey. Having said that, what did you think uh, about what you saw on the ice uh, last night? I thought, actually, the play was uh, pretty good, uh, considering everything. that There was a limited training camp, and really, the, the players have been off for a little while.
1: There, you're right. There was no dress rehearsal. This was it. This was the first game. And, and you got to think that, uh, just remember, Leafs only played five games in the last nine months. And uh, so, uh, you know, they, they did look tired, uh, you know, sluggish play. But uh, but it was entertaining. And I don't think, you know, we're holding them to the same standards we were pre-COVID. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'll be as harsh on the leash as we normally would have been. But it was quite entertaining. You know, we had our Wayne Simmons fight in there to really rile up the, the boys and get them going. And, uh, and the overtime winner, I think, you know, it's, there was some lackluster, but they showed that they're capable and they're skilled enough, uh, perhaps, to make a good run at it.
0: I'm sorry, the Leafs have only played five games in how long? Nine months. Nine months.
1: Well, in the past nine months.
0: (laughs) I can only imagine what the bean counters, uh, they've been there going, we've paid Austin Matthews how much for five games now? No wonder they wanted the team back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. When you sign these hefty contracts, I guess they weren't expecting COVID to hit. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What do you think about this new Northern Division? Where, of course, obviously because of COVID, the Canadian teams are all playing uh, each other. It was kind of nice, uh, as always, to see an original six matchup to start the uh, series or start the season. Last night between the Habs and the Leafs, but I don't know. They're going to see each other ten times. Is it going to get a little tiresome? Do you think?
1: It, you know, it it will and it won't. And and I'm so here's my take on it. That uh, you know, I've, I've always been from uh, that whole good old hockey game, the backyard you know rivalry fighting for whether it was your the home pond if you were playing there or the the home rink so i think yeah it, it's it's different for sure but it's certainly taking it back into time with the original six that we're looking at but now just dealing with the canadian teams here uh, i think it's it's going to create this huge rivalry it's going to get far more exciting um I, I don't know i i i like it
0: <laughs> uh. Yeah, I like it theoretically, too. But here's my concern is because, of course, the Leafs were beat out by Columbus. I mean, we didn't even really technically make it to the uh, playoffs last season. But if we don't see Columbus all year long and then all of a sudden have to face them somewhere uh, in the playoffs, I mean, I don't know if uh, maybe it's not an advantage or disadvantage for either team because they haven't seen each other. But it's going to seem really weird if you don't see a team until, I don't know, later on in the playoffs
1: no precisely and and, you know again uh you're absolutely right the exposure just won't be there and uh and you know this would be like a, a hog. Even uh, as I was mentioning, it's, it's like you have zero exposure to teams south of the border. Uh, but we've got a lot of tech. We've got uh, you know videos and so forth. So I, and and it's the equal disadvantage, I guess, if you may. But uh, but then again, you know, talking about COVID, talking about vaccines, and hopefully this, if this is going to be short term, you may see borders opening up if. Um, I'm fingers crossed mid season. I'm not a health expert in this by
0: any means, but, uh,
1: but yeah, no, I, I think, uh, nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it as long as we got hockey on TV. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think a lot of people were happy to see it back uh, last night. Parminder, pleasure as always. Thanks so much uh, for the time. Stay well and we'll talk soon.
1: Jim, I Thank you. Happy new year.
0: Happy new year. Parminder Singh is with Hockey Night Punjabi. Okay. Attention coffee lovers. That includes yours truly. Starbucks has announced that they're closing 300, that's right, 300 Canadian stores by March. This is all part of what the coffee giant is calling their transformation strategy, and to discuss uh, what exactly they're doing, here is Professor David Soberman, he is with the Rotman School of Business, and joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Professor, good afternoon, appreciate you coming on. Good afternoon. It's my pleasure. All right, this seems to be a major reversal for Starbucks. Seems like it wasn't that long ago they wanted, I don't know, two Starbucks on every street corner. Uh, Why the change in strategy? Well,
2: obviously, there's the main effect of the pandemic, which has meant that many uh, coffee shops have suffered the fact that people are staying home and not going to work. And one of the most frequent times when people pick up coffee from coffee shops is on the way to work or going home. And also when they're in downtown areas, which is obviously a favorite place for Starbucks to be located. uh, Also, there's not very many people there. I mean, the downtown cores of most major cities, not just in Canada, but in most developed countries are empty because people are staying home. So all of these things uh, contribute to many companies in this particular sector uh, trying to uh, reduce the, their level of activity.
0: Could this be a little premature on Starbucks' behalf, though? Because you're absolutely right. I mean, obviously, downtown here in Toronto and elsewhere has been transformed due to the pandemic. But once the vaccine uh, arrives, and hopefully we're post-pandemic, and we get back to some sort of uh, normal, I mean, are people going to get back to their old habits and, and routines?
2: Well, it's, it's hard to say, but I think one thing to consider is that when people start doing something, they develop habits, and it's often difficult to get them to change. So we go back to the pre-pandemic era. People went and they picked up coffee on their way to work, and this was a habit that they had. But we've now by virtue of the pandemic, those habits have actually been stopped. So it's unclear that they're immediately going to reappear once people start going to work. That's the first thing. The second thing is there is a real issue of whether people are going to fully return to the workplace because we've learned through the pandemic that many jobs can be done online at least part of the time. So if you have reduced Traffic, reduced numbers of people going to work in downtown locations, then you're going to have a situation where there's going to be less business for the coffee shops, which um, benefit from the people that are making those trips and who are working in those locations.
0: As I mentioned off the top, Starbucks is calling this part of their transformation strategy, and they say they've actually just accelerated this because of the pandemic. I mean, is this just for coffee shops, do you think? Or are other companies going to follow suit? Are other companies going to start enacting a transformation strategy, do you believe?
2: Well, I think that that particular comment by Starbucks is perhaps a little bit cryptic. And um, when you take a look at the number of shops that they're closing, I think more than 50% of the shops that they're closing in North America are in Canada. So this sort of speaks to the Canadian environment being somewhat different than the environment of the united states and i think there's two factors that affect that the first is the competitive environment um in uh canada uh starbucks faces a formidable competitor in the form of tim hortons which is far and away the largest quick serve restaurant chain in canada i've heard of that and uh, exactly <laughs> and uh also um second cup which kind of offers a a similar service in many downtown locations, but at a lower price. So that's a first point, which is that there's a difference in the competitive environment. No, there's no similar competitor in the United States. Um, The second thing is, from a demographic point of view, the spread in income in the United States is much bigger. In other words, there are many more extremely wealthy or rich people in, in the United States and as a result, brands that sort of cater to a higher income have more opportunity for business there. I mean, when I go down to California, you do see a lot of Starbucks and a lot of Pete's coffees. But the people going in there are all people that work in Silicon Valley and are professionals. In contrast, while I mean Canadians aren't poor by any stretch, but we're more of a more people are mainstream. The spread in incomes is less. And as a result, Uh, a brand like Tim Hortons, which is more of an everyman brand, seems to thrive better in a place like
0: Canada. So this is uh, partly due to the uh, shift in the economics uh, because of the pandemic, uh, but also partly, maybe even more so, a miscalculation uh, about the Canadian market uh, on behalf of Starbucks, you think?
2: It could be. It could be that they overexpanded. And also, we also have to remember that I think for a few years now, and this has been in the press, Tim Hortons has not been... Uh, perhaps making the best decisions. And I think this has perhaps fueled growth of competitors of Tim Hortons, like McDonald's and like Starbucks. But, you know, Tim Hortons is really big, and I think that they're starting to improve their performance and making some changes. And all of those things, of course, when a competitor starts doing better, that creates differences in the forecast and the outlooks you will have for your business. So in this particular case, Starbucks might be worrying that, geez, Tim Hortons is starting to maybe get their act together. You know, they, they're reformulating their coffee. They're refocusing their menus. And so they're perhaps thinking, well, maybe the plans that we had weren't perhaps as uh, likely to succeed as they are now.
0: Just finally, uh, Professor, do you think that there's many companies looking right now at themselves and how they do business and uh, formulating some sort of uh, strategy, different strategy, perhaps like Starbucks, looking at reducing uh, their number of stores or outlets, particularly in light of uh, how things have changed when it comes to things like a drive-through business for coffee shops in particular, but uh, also curbside pickup, which has emerged during the uh, pandemic? And is that a trend, do you think, that will sustain itself uh, beyond the pandemic?
2: Oh, that's a very good point, Jeff. I mean, there have been big changes caused by the pandemic, but there's also been trends that have been accelerated. And one of the trends that has really accelerated is people shopping online and ordering online. I mean, this has been to the benefit of organizations such as Amazon and to the detriment of organizations such as the Bay So as we move forward, you're going to see some organizations will have to reduce the size of their footprint, reduce the number of outlets, and try to focus in the areas where their formula does seem to be working. And I think in particular, as you've mentioned, the way that people are getting physical products, and by physical as opposed to services, I mean the way they're picking things up on the curb and so on, actually will cause a recalibration in how you actually manage your network and how large that network needs to be.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating. I've seen a lot of comments online, people saying that uh, curbside pickup, why didn't we have this a long, long time ago? I really enjoy not having to go into the store, just driving up and having it loaded into my car. Professor David Soberman with the Rotman School of Business, uh, appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Thanks so much.
2: No problem. It was my pleasure.
0: All right. Stay healthy and be well. The Consumer Electronics Show is underway, albeit a little different this year, like so many other things, because of the pandemic, it's virtual. And here with the rundown of everything new and noteworthy is tech expert Mark Saltzman, who joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey there, Mark. Good afternoon.
3: And to you, Jeff. Thanks for having me.
0: By the way, I just have to point out the irony, because during the commercial break, we were desperately trying to uh, get hooked up on uh, what we call a tie line, something very high-tech that would give you, like, a studio-quality sound, and... uh here we are discussing the latest, greatest in technology, and we've had to resort to the good old-fashioned phone line.
3: <laughs> I know. Uh, it is delicious irony. Yeah, I heard I heard you loud and clear, but uh, your uh, producer couldn't hear me, so that's going to be a problem. So Yes, yeah,
0: so yeah, it, it's what key that we hear you during this segment. <laughs> me, not so much. But, uh, yeah, let's go over some of the uh, bigger items. Uh, what's caught your eye at this year's Consumer Electronics Show?
3: Yeah, so, of course, there's always the, like, really far future stuff like uh, Cadillac Flying Taxi, uh, Samsung's Robot that could pick up your dirty laundry off the floor for you, pour you a glass of wine and bring it to you, and LG's Transparent TV that's also rollable, so it kind of rolls up from the foot of your bed, and you can see uh, through it as well, should you want to. Like, there's always those kinds of fun, but like no like not coming out anytime soon kind of gadgets okay. but but speaking of tvs uh something that we are spending a lot more time on i did like these mini led tvs that debuted this week um, because they offer a lot more brightness and contrast to a regular television and that's super important i've always written that in my articles. so uh, lg has this technology called q te- television so it's now thirty thousand tiny led lights behind the panel that produce far superior brightness. And there's 10 different models that are coming out Some are 4K, some are as much as 8K, and uh, as large as 86 inches. So that's pretty cool. That's coming soon. And we're also, of course, Jeff, spending a lot more time on our computers, not just on our TVs. So uh, a lot of laptops debuted this week. No surprise there. Uh, One of my favorites was called the Titanium Yoga, the X1 Titanium Yoga. So it's made from titanium. And uh, this ThinkPad, because it is part of the ThinkPad family, is the thinnest ever at 11 millimeters, but super durable because of the material it's made out of and i love that it's on it's on a hinge so it's got that um two in one feature the convertible where you can use it as a tablet as a laptop or because it is called the yoga i'll I'll call this third move the downward dog where you can put it upside down like a upside down v on your table to like video chat with your your friends while you're cooking dinner for example it takes up less room on your table
0: <laughs> All right, it seems to me every year the, the, th- the theme of the CES is, is the same. It's thinner, lighter, or it's a better yeah. picture quality. Does that basically sum up the Consumer Electronics Show? Yes,
3: yeah, generally speaking, and it's usually more evolutionary than revolutionary, but this year I would argue that touchless tech or, you know, hands-free technology was also very big, as, as you might expect. So everything from this uh, phone sanitizer from a Toronto-based company called Glistener, where you put your phone into this, like, high-tech future, futuristic uh, toaster-like device, and then it it zaps it using ultraviolet light, to a uh, wearable uh, toony-sized device that can detect COVID symptoms, to a mask that has a microphone and speakers to amplify your sound, to a hands-free kitchen faucet that uh, uh from moen and i think I, we talked about it on the global uh, uh the morning show where you uh, can use your voice to ask for a specific amount of water and a desired temperature all hands free yeah, that,
0: that blew my mind so if you're baking yeah. uh, say and you get your hands uh, full or uh, you know just say two cups of hot water or two cups yeah. of cold yeah. water it just exactly. pours right out
3: It's that's exactly it. And unlike some of these other technologies that I've only seen virtually this week, I have tried that you by Moen smart kitchen faucet and it does work as advertised. It's mind blowing. It's a great party trick. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I bet. And and you know, the other theme this year seems to be what you mentioned earlier about the uh, cell phone, because we all know our cell phones are basically, uh, I don't know, germ bricks, right? I mean, they carry so many uh, germs that uh, with uh, COVID and the pandemic, it seems to be there's a, a real emphasis on sanitation and hygiene.
3: Yeah, for sure. So we, we touched on a couple of those phone cleaning solutions using ultraviolet light or UVC to be specific that can zap 99.9% of viruses and bacteria that may live on the surface of your phone. And experts have said this for years, that your phone is dirtier than the average toilet seat, believe it or not, uh, because we do touch it between four and 500 times a day. And that includes every little tap and swipe. It sounds like a big number, but if you add that all up, it's really, you know, ask anybody who's scrolling through TikTok or Instagram right now while listening to your show. Uh, so that clean phone product from Glistener was neat, and then uh, there are new phones. Generally speaking, CES isn't a big uh, show for new smartphone launches because around the corner is usually an event called Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. But with the with the pandemic, that's not going to happen. So uh, Samsung chose today, in fact, to launch their new S twenty one Galaxy S twenty one family of smartphones. So yeah, that that is of course an important device in our lives, and there's uh, they're not standing still there either
0: all right anything else that really stands out for you
3: yeah, I would uh, end up on this uh, GM announcement. Mary Barra, the CEO for GM, gave the opening keynote for CES 2021. It was mostly about GM's electrification efforts, their future, where they envision you know, 30 of their, their cars and trucks and SUVs to be electrified by 2025. But uh, what I liked about it as an online shopper, as many of us are, is that they also had a big announcement called Bright Drop, which is all tied to delivering your products faster and in a cleaner fashion, better on the environment. So so it's a, it's a fleet of vehicles, it's an ecosystem that mixes products and software and services to, to bring your, your products uh, to you cleaner, faster, quieter, uh, everything right from the warehouse all the way to what they call the last mile, getting you right to your doorstep. So that was a big announcement from GM coming as early as this spring through FedEx called Bright Drop.
0: All right. And just finally, uh, how much are you missing in Las Vegas right now?
3: <laughs> you know, I, on one hand, I... Don't miss waiting in line for 45 minutes to get a $35 hamburger that's terrible at the convention center. Uh, so I, I'm eating much better at home, and I'm sleeping much better. But I do miss, you know, CES is all about the experience and kicking the tires. So I, I am missing part of that.
0: I bet. I bet. Mark, thanks for sharing some of the latest and uh, greatest uh, coming to the Consumer Electronics Show, which is uh, <laughs> underway. It. Appreciate it, my friend.
3: Thanks so much. You got it. All right.
0: Stay well. You know, Mark mentioned a GM and a Cadillac with some of big announcements at the Consumer Electronics Show. Now, this is concept only, but they've unveiled their first ever flying car. Yes, that's right. A car that will actually uh, fly. We're going to have more details on that with uh, David Booth, senior writer for uh, Post Media when it comes to uh, driving and automotive issues. He'll join us coming up. The Consumer Electronics Show underway, albeit virtually this year. And Cadillac is getting a lot of talk, a lot of talk today after unveiling a flying car. Yes, that's right. It looks like it's a step closer. I think a lot of people, a lot of folks have been wondering, like, when is the flying cars? When are they going to get here? I mean, this is the stuff of the Jetsons. Remember George Jetson going to, like, Spacely Sprockets to work every day in a flying car. And that was decades ago. What's the delay? Why don't we have the flying car yet? Well, it looks like we're getting at least a step closer, thanks to Cadillac and General Motors. As I mentioned, this is getting a lot of talk, a lot of chatter at the Consumer Electronics Show. But just how close are we to being able to fly in our cars? Let's ask David Booth. He is a senior writer for Postmedia Driving and joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. David, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm okay, thank you. A uh, little excited about this, but uh, should I be? Is this going to happen anytime soon?
4: Uh, no. In fact, the uh, the eVTOL um, uh, vehicle you're talking about um, was just a, a virtual rendering. It, I don't, I'm not sure that the actual vehicle exists even as a mock-up. And the other thing to remember is CES is, I mean, showing off a flying taxi at um, CES has become sort of a rite of passage. Toyota did it last year, Hyundai did it the year before, uh, there's been a dozen of them there and none of them have ever taken off as you say. So it's it's very much in the distant future and, and battery technology will have to get much better than it needs to get for cars for a flying vehicle to be able to lift just the weight of the batteries required. So we're a long way
0: off. Okay, that was one of my questions, and I find this really interesting because, you know, we've got Tesla and the batteries in those cars that are able to, uh, you know, ramp right up and hit some uh, pretty good, pretty impressive speeds. But, uh, I mean, speed is one thing, power is another, and we're just not there yet when it comes to uh, battery technology and a flying vehicle. Well, the, the the thing you need to understand is uh, a, a car
4: rolls. So if you need to, have to add a heavy battery to get range and speed that you've talked about for Tesla, while it it can affect the handling, it's not that punitive. And and you got to remember, a Tesla 100D has about a thousand pounds of battery, and you know, but rolling it along, you know, isn't that bad trying to lift it off the ground, and especially vertically, which is what a a flying taxi is. It's not even uh, a plane that gets to move horizontally to get enough speed under it to take off. It just needs raw power to lift it vertically upwards. Uh, That takes a big, powerful battery, and they're simply too heavy uh, right now, batteries are, to be able to to, uh, generate all the power to do a vertical takeoff, and then go any meaningful distance once they're flying in the air. That's the drawback right now. There have been prototypes, there have been carbon fiber, extra special, lightweight, one person only vehicles shown that can go 50 kilometers perhaps, but a realistic uh, taxi that could take two or three people, uh, 70 kilometers or 80 kilometers or even 100 kilometers, and then keep on redoing that all day like we uh, have our current car-based taxis. That's a really long way off.
0: Is that why this? And again, this is purely a concept. They haven't even actually built one of these EVOLS that uh, Cadillac is uh, calling it. By the way, that's yeah. EVOL, not evil. They might want to rethink the title of that car. But uh, having said that, is that why the, it looks like it's kind of a combination between I don't know, a drone and a helicopter? And it looks like it would like maybe fit one person. I don't even know if you could get a passenger in this thing.
4: I, I think it's meant to fit one passenger very tightly. I mean, it, it, again, because of the weight of the battery, and I'm guessing a, a lot of the, that is occupied by battery um, and everything else, they probably can't take more than one passenger, and therefore it needs to be autonomous uh, and everything else like that. And as we found over the uh, last few years, it's easier to say, oh, we're going to have autonomy, uh, autonomous cars in in two or three years than actually to do it. And, 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 you know, I mean, that's in two dimensions. I mean, you know, cars only move left, right, or forward. Uh, when you're flying, there's a, there's a third dimension, and uh, that makes autonomous airplanes and drones flying in a crowded city traffic that much more problematic. But again, so again, you know, we're looking a long way off.
0: All right, so uh, are you're not surprised, or are you surprised at this stage of the game, 2021? I mentioned off the top, I mean, this is the thing of the Jetsons from, like, a cartoon in the 60s flying to work. Uh, are you surprised, David, that we're not there yet, that we don't have a flying car? No, not at all. I mean,
4: think about it. We've been tra- talking, about, talking about it for 60, 70 years. People have showed prototypes back in the 60s and and there 's you know there 's the point that you know the car i mean if it was truly a flying taxi it truly useful it would both roll and fly, so that 's one problem now they have to be um, um, emissions compliant, which means electric, which adds heavy battery, which is another problem then there 's the case of well who 's going to be allowed to fly them uh, if it 's a person i mean you 're not going to let somebody up in the air without a full pilot 's license i mean i, I can 't see that if it 's autonomous. If we can't produce a car that rolls on the ground we're good enough yet to be fully autonomous, what makes us expect that something that flies can be autonomous? So I'm not in any way um, um, surprised by the fact that it's not here yet. I mean, this is a pipe dream. Uh, people keep using it to uh, express their uh, technology capabilities. But uh, to be honest with you, the big uh, news from, um, from CES... Uh, for General Motors has nothing to do with uh, flying helicopters or or, or it's even exciting. But the news that they're getting into something, uh, they've created a new company called Bridgepoint, which is going to be um, a soup-to-nuts supplier of everything that courier and delivery companies need to transport trucks from anywhere in the world to anywhere else. They'll have uh, electrically-powered um, computer-controlled little pallets where FedEx people put packages in and they're monitored and they don't have to carry the packages. They'll have a, a short-range electrical trucks that they're already producing for FedEx that will be computer-controlled as well so that uh, they do their routes more efficiently. Uh, efficiently, And they'll even have um, some kind of electric truck that will be used for long-range to carry the packages across the country. That's an eight hundred $850 billion business going forward, uh, and General Motors just announced a really all-in, completely comprehensive effort to enter this business. That's big news. Talking about something that probably won't happen for 30 years. Uh, you
3: know, it's frightening, but...
0: Yeah. So how does this work, then, this uh, new delivery system from General Motors? Because if it's computer-controlled, is it autonomous? If it's going to replace the FedEx driver, I mean, how do the packages get to the doorsteps like we've all been accustomed to during the uh, pandemic? Is it going to be a case where I might get some sort of notification on my smartphone that my package is uh, there at the end of the driveway, and I come out to the truck that's there and uh, pick it off the truck?
4: Well, um, obviously, down the road, if autonomous actually does become accepted by society and the technology exists it's possible it become it could become autonomous but right now the 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 current vision is that it's a supplement to the driver uh, and the dispatchers and everything else so what it is is a, a little pallet looks like a shopping cart on wheels except it's all enclosed it's got all the packages in it uh, uh there's maybe 20 say that fit in the truck uh, A whole bunch of packages go in each of these pallets uh, so the the driver knows where exactly each one of these is. I'm assuming that if he only has to walk to my door from his truck, which is 10 feet, he'll just take it out of the pallet and do so. But for when he's uh, delivering a large number of uh, packages to a business, the pallet is um, uh, automatically taken out of the truck and will motor itself electrically to where he needs to deliver those packages. Now, he'll have to guide it and everything else, but there will be um, a, uh, a a pallet, and it doesn't have to push anything, it'll be self-enclosed, and it'll be completely computer monitored so that the transition of packages to the client will be automatic uh, on their, uh, exactly as you mentioned, on their iPad. Hmm. And that's just part of it. That's just part of it for now. All right. uh, FedEx has been testing this. They've already said that, um, uh, that the, their drivers could deliver 25% more packages. And that's just over the last year.
0: Well, they're going to need to the way we're ordering uh, online and deliveries have been uh, happening uh, now and into the future. Uh, just finally, uh, David, is there anything that really stands out for you from the Consumer Electronics Show, or just uh, when it comes to high tech technology in, in driving? I mean, does it begin and end with autonomy, uh, autonomous vehicles, self-driving uh, cars?
4: Uh, there's one. This is a little geeky, uh, but my favorite technology. From this year's CES, and it was also my favorite technology from last year's CES, is laser lights. Now, I'm not talking about those silly laser lights people put underneath their cars uh, and <laughs> shine red. I'm talking about headlights that are lasers. So for one point of view, uh, point, um, the, they can shine light. I've been in a, a truck with laser lights, and they can shine light so you can see two miles ahead in the pitch black of a Mexican desert Uh, with no lighting whatsoever. Like miles, two miles, if you want to see that far ahead, you can make a light that can project a beam that far. It's like 10 times farther than LED. Most importantly, however, the same light, uh, this laser light made by a company called SLD Laser, can also act as a radar light Range finder: the beam goes out, the beam comes back. They can actually measure how far away um, something is, and it can cre- even create a three D image of what is um, is is out there. This is exactly the kind of thing that autonomous automobiles need: some kind of long range radar system. Now, so far, we've been using L- lidar. But that that is expensive, as Elon Musk has said, and it's problematic. It just doesn't last. But fact, is that going to you know, help
0: us avoid accidents if we've got this uh, laser range finder? Absolutely, it's going to. Exactly so.
4: And it, could, it, it can quite literally build a 3D image of any car uh, 500 feet in, the hor- in, in, in front of it. Anywhere the light can see, even in the daytime and, you know, you don't use uh, you don't actually see the lights then, as long as the light's on, Okay, you can see all this stuff in the future. It's way more reliable than radar and lidar. It's way cheaper and it's already built into the headlights, so you don't need to put more sensors in your grill and everything else. And best of all for Canada, best of all for Canada, the lights themselves heat up the you know the, the the headlight lens so snow melts off of it and that's something that is a big problem big problem for radar sensors you get ice on those buggers and they just shut down the whole car in terms of that you can't use the cruise control anymore so i i i know it sounds geeky but i think that it's the most exciting thing i've seen out of uh out of uh, out of CES, and this year's a show that I had a private show for about half an hour on SLD laser, and I I'm super excited about it.
0: I can hear it in your voice, and I'm excited about the uh, fact that uh, yes, it can help us avoid accidents. I'm not so excited that uh, these laser lights uh, can show you two miles down the road because. It's enough already when I get somebody behind me with their high beams on, uh, yeah. now so.
4: <laughs> yes, but here's what's incredible. Here's what's incredible, and they showed it to me. They, uh, because it's so controllable, they could put out a beam pattern that is um, uh, maybe six feet wide at a mile a mile out. Unlike this, these LED lights that spray spray light that you're complaining about spray light all over the right? yeah. place. An LED can a mile away. They can have like a eight feet circumference, and they can monitor it and change it in real time. Like uh, they showed uh, uh, things where you know uh, that you could literally take a thing that is round, the same light, and instantly turn it into this um, beam of light that is no more than six inches thick, but goes all across a horizontal beam so in other words when they go to low beam they can literally control it to the inch how much light uh, is at what point so they can make sure that the low beam is below your eyes and not affecting you it's really fantastical stuff
0: love It. it very very cool uh david thank you for the time as always really appreciate you joining us this afternoon
4: you
1: take it easy
0: you as well that's david booth senior writer for post media driving and speaking of driving. Let's get out to the road, shall we? And get a check of Global News Radio 640 Toronto Traffic. We've got some new problems in Midtown.